Hello and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Gareth Tennant. And me, Chris Kitchener. In this podcast, we're hoping to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders and businesses tick. And as tradition has it, uh, this week's podcast is sponsored by, and this one I'm particularly excited by, a fighting wine I picked up from a petrol station in Poland. So if we don't make it through this podcast, you'll know never to get a bottle of wine from a petrol station in Poland. In terms of today's topic, though, um, I think in previous podcasts, we have teased the audience by talking about leadership management at command at different points and so it felt only right that we actually properly did a podcast on command leadership and management and as as the business representation i guess in this podcast if we talk about leadership and management then i feel very comfortable about the differences between those and the place for those but Actually, where, where you, when you start throwing command in there, I think that's a word that is used less. And dare I say it is almost a dirty word in, in the civilian world because that sounds mm. very military shooting at people. Gareth, command, leadership, management. Tell me about it. What, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe start with those and what your definition of each of those is. So I think you're right. The, the term command comes up far less in the commercial world. Um, and I happened to be looking yesterday on Amazon Books at how many books have the title leadership in them, or leader, how many books have management in them, and how many have command in them. Um, and it will be no surprise to our listeners that leadership wins by a country mile. There are hundreds of thousands of leadership books. I think there were 57,000 books with the term management or manager in them. Um, and command, there were very few. There was... do, do, you, do you think, I mean, here's the elephant in the room, leadership is sexy. People always talk about <sighs> yeah. leaders. Management is almost, there's leaders. Oh, and then there's Management's managers. A bit mundane. And yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, and then, and then command, as I say, command is this idea. It's intimidating, I, I think. Well, I, it feels almost a dirty word mm. because command leadership has room for debate and discussion the implication is command there is no room for this this i am in charge this is what we're going to do so I'm, I'm, rather than me take you away maybe we start with command talk, talk about your definition of command in this case yeah so i i absolutely agree with you i think there is a almost a fetishism around leadership and people like to talk about leadership um I think sometimes at the expense of some other really important aspects. And, and command for me is one of those. So all three terms are quite often used synonymously. People will interchange the term manager, leader, commander, um, but they are discrete, they are different, and they have to be balanced. And we'll get into sort of definitions and discuss you know, your view on it and my view on it. Um, in more detail in a moment but leadership's about getting people to do things management is about um, allocation of resources command is for me the organisational glue 
that makes management and leadership work. So what do I mean by that? It is the explicit or implicit understanding of the balance of accountability, authority and responsibility. And I've mentioned that before. So it command is what empowers people to make leadership decisions or managerial decisions. So we should be clear, command is not the idea I command you to do something. Command is the sense of it is a it is a role. So it, it, you know in 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 my world um, I was speaking to my CEO today. My CEO is has the position of command in terms of he has the authority. He is where as it were the buck stops. Is that is that what your sense is, or that's your meaning of command in that sense, or do you want to? Yeah, to I think that? so. I think that's exactly it. And I think unlike management and leadership, or the term manager and leader, those are subjective. So we talk about people's ability to lead, people's ability to manage, um, and you can debate what's good and what's bad, and. And, and of course, it's situationally dependent, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas command is less about individuals. So you can't as easily judge an, an ability to command because command intrinsically requires a relationship across an organisation. So it's about the, the understanding of who has authority over somebody else. You can be a leader or a manager at any level, but you can only be a commander or command when you are accountable for a specific group or yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. and so it, it would be very difficult to sort of talk about an individual's ability to command because without the organisation that they're commanding, how do you judge it? Whereas you can talk about an ability to lead or an ability to manage more sort of abstract from the organisation. Can I just say, I don't, know the, I don't know how far the microphone goes, but the fact that your dog is snoring loudly, mm. I think is magnificent. <laughs> that at least there's one audience member who thinks this is nonsense. The idea that we make these differentiations... The difference between manager and leader for me, and, and again, to recap from sort of my general take on this, is manager is a sense of I have a group of people I'm responsible for and there are a set of, in inverted commas, hygiene tasks that I need to do. Yeah. I need to meet with them regularly. I need to make sure they get paid. I need to check on their welfare. I need to see if they're performing. That That's a manager. It's sort of a... Hygiene is the wrong word, but it... it it's a mechanical process to some degree. If you, yeah, if you yeah. fulfil it. Leadership is is the one that, and and that was great when you said at the beginning about fetishising it because I talk a lot about it. So I'm thinking, oh, damn. I mean, it is important. Well, no, but I, I think I think your point is right, and I think it's this difference between the romanticising of something versus the the discussion to make it useful. But for yeah. me, leadership, yeah, definitely, leadership is. The ability to influence a group of people in a positive way to achieve a goal, whether you have authority or not. Sometimes you do have authority, sometimes you don't. Is I, I want to poke you and say, is command just another word for the person in authority and therefore does it, does it lose value at that point? Is it mildly interesting that there's this differentiation between someone who influences versus some or is there something more about command is there something that's more and unique and different about it so i think um firstly i'll, I'll 
come back to you on your definition of leadership. I don't think it has to be positive. I think you can still get people to do things in a negative way. Agreed. Well, we've talked about Adair's balls on this podcast before, so team, task and individual. You can do really, really well at the task at the detriment of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we lost a few people, but, you know, we succeeded, so it's yeah, all okay. And, and you can absolutely get people to do things through a didactic, you know, bullying, sort of forcing people to do things. And Only one, it, it uh, achieves tough. Well, I was going to say, you can, uh, what I've found as a diversion, I've met lots of people who use that approach. The really interesting thing is, before anyone out there thinks, ah, oh, well, shouting at people works, they said so, it works briefly yeah and there are and, and it works in situations i mean the the positive bit maybe maybe the other piece of that and i i, I agree with you there are many ways to get people to do things mm. the leadership the positive is the idea that it is sustainable repeatable yes. and yeah. and all sorts of other things come from it in other words good leaders beget good leaders because they are their role models but now i've, I've seen this idea that when yeah. people they use poor ways to motivate people and you can get away with that for a short period of time and often you can even fool yourself into thinking look how good a job i'm doing but the moment the push comes to shove or the opportunity to push that person over the cliff comes they're all gone so Mm. generally there are i mean there are of course times where a very very robust didactic form of leadership is very valuable so um obviously in the military we always refer back to that you know leading troops into dangerous situations but i think more clearly for me is emergency services you know when when there is clear and present danger being nice and encouraging people and developing people is the wrong approach what you need is a very didactic get back stay back so are we i mean i was going to come back and say i still don't feel that i've scratched the command in no no i didn't answer your question but well but maybe maybe this is a lead into this which is Commanders will have to make decisions sometimes. I mean, in the military sense, but we we, we should relate it to the the business sense. But but commanders sometimes have to make decisions that lead to bad outcomes for the team in a way that the other roles we have described are naturally less inclined to do so or less inclined. As in, you may well be a military commander and say, we have to run up that beach and... 80% 80% of us won't make it up there, but we're still going to do it, guys. That is a command decision. Yeah, I, I, I think for me that you can still be a leader or you are still a leader. I don't think these are discrete roles. I, right. I don't think I you're, you're right. a commander or a leader or a manager. I think everybody is a little bit leader, a little bit manager, a little bit commander. Um, and you can and depending score on positive you or negative. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and so, that balance needs to be struck and i think that in its essence is what command is um ultimately starting at the apex of that organization so the ceo or the general or the admiral or or whatever um but filtering down to make sure that everybody is empowered and we use the word empowerment a lot but we don't really talk about how empowerment works but everybody is empowered to the right amount to have accountability for their actions to somebody or to a board or to a governance body so they are held accountable for how they carry out activities they are given an amount of resource whether it's access to money or time or people um, to manage 
things and then leadership is you know about getting people to do things and you've already alluded to the fact that that can be an explicit role or it can be about you know influencing people around you you can lead your boss so it's interesting i mean what you're really saying is that it's i thought the statement you are not a manager a leader or in command you 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 know there's a mix of all mm. of those and the, the 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 command piece is more in the area of accountability and resources and marshalling those things so yeah. you know in the second world war they talk a lot of a lot about leaders there's sort of Patton, who is the stand up waves his gun around yeah he was, of course, a commander, but but more of the leader. And then there's Eisenhower, who you never see waving his gun around. You know, yeah. he is in command, and he cared about how many landing craft they had. Yeah, something in that you can start to get after that sort of triumvirate of leadership, management, command, and and of course for these key individuals, you know, we've used generals in in conflict as an example there. But if if you're the CEO of an organisation, I I think there is. The people that you are interacting with, the, your immediate staff around you, you're going to be far more influential in the way that you act and the way you behave than people who are on the other side of the world that get to read stuff you write once a month and see you on a Zoom call or something. So... And I'm thinking back to military commanders. When I was working at um, brigade level, so I I was part of what they call the the principal planning group. Um, so the senior leaders within the brigade headquarters, all working to the brigade commander, but the brigade commander commanding six and a half thousand people and all of the resources who are on different <coughs> ships, possibly in different countries, managing helicopters and aircraft and vehicles and political lines to take and all sorts of other things, also was day-to-day -day being watched by the command headquarters of about 200 people and so was in a direct leadership role because the way he presented himself, the way he behaved, the things that you see when he's not standing up and you know giving a, a set of orders but he's having a chat in the, the canteen or you know catching somebody in a corridor he's leading by example but to people on the other side of the brigade who are you know just on the other end of a radio or on the other end of a set of orders there isn't that direct tangible leadership i wonder whether there's <clears throat> i mean it's funny if you if you said to me have I ever been in command I would say well I mean obviously a command is a CEO but actually I think the reality is you know I'm a VP of product and I have a product organization there's command there but the, the bit that was interesting and I, I guess this is one of the things that I was poking at a bit which is it's great we have these terms and these ideas of differences so what, so what, what do we yeah. and I wonder whether the first thing that that I'll throw out and then I'd love to sort of get your so what on this is the first thing is a different way of thinking and perhaps a broader way of thinking. So the, the example I have is in my world, I care about everything within the product organization. That is, 
from beginning to end, I care about all of that. Whereas my CEO has to care about that and everything else. And so it's a, it's a, it's a different higher level view of more things and it's a portfolio and it's the spreadsheets matter more. I'm not a big mm. spreadsheet fan because I don't need to be. He has to have spreadsheets of balance, of profit, of loss, of headcount, of all these kinds of things. So I wonder whether, whether for me at least, not that this helps people, but command, when, when you are in command, the first thing you have to do is say, how must I think differently? Because by definition, I am now in charge of more than one thing, and that demands a different way of thinking. I, I think you could probably still be in command of just one thing, but it's far, far simpler, and the command aspect of leadership management and command yeah. becomes less important. Um, I think it something that um, Brigadier John said in the last podcast we recorded... Um, where he was talking about boxes and he was talking about giving subordinate leaders, commanders, managers, boxes, the, the boundaries within the, which they work and then allowing them to do that however they feel is justified. Um, and I think that's why this is important, you know, because we don't talk about command that much in the commercial world, but we do talk about changing the structure we talk about flatter structures we talk about empowerment we talk about psychological safety and and all these terms and and the reality is that unless you talk about command unless you talk about the relationships between the way people behave the way that they share problems who owns the responsibility not who gets shouted at when it goes wrong but who actually is responsible for the decision? Who is accountable? Who is has the authority? Unless you talk about those things, you can talk about good and bad leadership. You can talk about management and spreadsheets and you know, allocation of resources. But unless people are empowered by being in control of their little boxes and they know what those are... The whole idea of psychological safety and empowerment doesn't really work. Well, you, you said something very, very important there, actually, and there's, there's a couple of thoughts that come up. But one thing that's really important is you said people need to talk about the authority and the accountability. Yeah. And I, I want to pick up on that because I bet any organisation you would go to, if you went to someone in command or a senior leader and said, does everyone understand what they're accountable for? The answer would be yes, and the smart ones would then pause and say probably. <laughs> and the reason is, is because I think there is an assumption of accountability, but actually it is quite rare to say, let's talk about what you own and what you are accountable for. Let's yeah. talk about what your box is. What are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do? Yes. What What are your expected priorities? I think, I think, I think talking about it which seems very unsexy yes. is actually incredibly powerful and valuable and is useful as a leader a manager and a commander there's one other thing and I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in but I, I know you've spent lots of time talking to people about sort of the facets of what makes good commands I want to come back to that but here's a really this is something I found really important and this is perhaps well, I, I wanted to make the point about command, but I think this is true about leadership and management as well. And that is, 
How do you ensure the next generation of people who will take over from you are able to take over from you? And so today we're talking at a theoretical level about these roles and what that means. Another thing I've, I've come across a lot in my time is that there's this air gap between how do you become one of those? Like I remember in my world, the difference between a product manager and a group product manager and a director is a big jump. You go look at the definitions mm. and you go look at all the, the really good stuff out there about what's the difference between a director. It talks about a different mindset, different goals. One of the things that's very clear to me is how do people get the experience to do that? I was talking to someone recently who says, well, I'm a product manager, but I want to be a director one day. And every time I go for an interview for a director role, they say, well, you're not a director. And then they say, what experience yeah. do you have? And yeah. you say, well, I don't have the experience. So yeah. what, one of those things is, is for, for people out there who are managers or in command or good leaders is you need to think about how the people that work for you will make that next step up. And the way that I often do this is how do you give them that experience? How yeah. the next time I'm presenting to the CEO, how can I get one of my team to do the presentation to see what is it like to present to the CEO? How can I get them to turn up to one of the board meetings to hear what the board are asking us about? Another one of those things, and I'm, and you know, in that classic phrase we use maybe a topic for another podcast. But how do you, how do you have succession planning, and how do you have people come? Up? Anyway, that yeah. was a, that was a diversion. Um, right, I think there's a, there's a really interesting point there, and that was you know about emulation of other people's roles and expansion of experience. Um, uh, and there's a really interesting dynamic in the the way that the different armed services of the military operate. And it's something I looked at when I started um, doing the research for my master's degree, which is all about the, the relationship between leadership and organisational culture, um, specifically within the armed forces. But you've got the army and the Royal Marines is very, very similar, um, that operates in a very complex environment um, you have to, because of the character of the way that conflict unfolds in the land environment, delegate command, leadership, decision-making down to very small teams because it's a dynamic environment, things change very quickly and no one really has a handle on exactly what's going on everywhere. Um, and I, I have a, a really um, sort of personal story around that, which is, when I was in Afghanistan, we were engaged with the enemy. Um, we took some casualties and we needed to fight through and extract from our position. Um, uh, and so we called for indirect fires. And we had GMLRS, so guided multiple launch rocket systems, which are you know, proving themselves at the moment in, in Ukraine, um, coming in on, on the enemy position. But I needed to make sure that my own troops were far enough away from the black zone uh, of the, the incoming rounds. But I didn't know exactly where my forward line were, where my the Marines that were the furthest forward engaged with the enemy were. And I also didn't know their exact situation. I didn't know whether they had the ability to get up and run back and be in the safe zone, or whether it was safer for them to continue to suppress the enemy and take the risk. Um, and so the only thing I could do was pass the information down to them. 
Okay, there are rounds coming in on this point of ground in this time, and you need to be this far away by that point. I couldn't go and drag them away. I couldn't tell them, you know, to be in positions because I didn't know where they were. And I, so there was an empowerment piece yeah, yeah. that had to happen. Interestingly, in the air environment, it's very different. So the air environment is far less complex. There is lots of open space. Um, things move faster. And so it becomes far more about mechanics. It becomes about angles and speeds, which is why aircrew are you know, renowned for being very, very good at doing quick arithmetic in their head. Um, and in the maritime environment, in the Navy, you have a very different dynamic again. So it's very... I was going to say it's very two-dimensional. Of course, there is air threats and there are subsurface threats. And, but there isn't a huge amount going on on the surface other than water and ships um, and then missiles flying around. But what you, what you don't have in the air environment and the maritime environment is this ability to grow confidence in command that you do in the land environment because you start with very small teams that are making complex decisions very early on and then those teams just get bigger as you promote so i was commanding a troop of about 35 marines we spoke to john last week he started doing that in the artillery but still a commanding a troop um and now commands yeah, 33,000 33,000 but has graduated <clears throat> through that whereas in the air environment you've only got air crew that fly aircraft in combat yeah it's very and, and so and, and in the maritime environment it's even worse because you have sort of you have leadership but your your ship only goes in one direction and you only get to be the commander of a ship once you've promoted through so there's this sort of challenge that the Navy have, which is how do they develop leaders well, we've, and commanders? I, I, you've, you've, so I was going to, as you were going through that story, and I, I think the military is held up as these crazy, unique people, as in, ah, this isn't relevant to the, the business world. And, and while things are very different, though, I think the thing that is interesting about the military is that the extremity that presents itself says you need to be really good at this. So there's, there's an edge mm. to it that I think maybe in business you don't get as much. But as we were talking through this, one of the things that struck me was, and I'm going to go back to my old favourite of I don't read books, which as we've discussed in previous episodes, but I think one of the things that makes me nervous about reading textbooks or self-help books or whatever they might be is the idea that there is your recipe for success. You read this yeah. book and you'll be successful. What you have just brilliantly articulated is that command varies in almost any dimension you can look at it. It, it. it varies in the military in terms of the service you're in. It varies at the level you're at and it changes. Whether you're in conflict or not. Well, you know, Indeed. And so, so yeah. it strikes me there isn't a handbook that says do these three things and you'll be great at command so so here's a this is i hadn't even expected to ask this question the the point about every single topic we've discussed over the last however many hours we've done this i'm hopefully many more hours is we can give examples we can talk about typical cases we can give guidelines but honestly at the end of the day if you're a muppet it's not going to work for you. So here's, here's the million dollar question. 
you've read every book in the world you've seen every video you've been uh, on the battlefront or you're a ceo you've worked at five companies you know the principles of command you know what is the magic how do you prepare people to be not muppets <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. I can I can give you the twenty things to be a great commander mm. or in command or a great CEO, and you can understand them perfectly and still be terrible. Yeah, our job, I think it's fair to say, our job, whether it's sort of you coaching people or me as I work on the day to day, is to say that these are the things I can't control, but I still need to train to somehow overcome that. So. Okay, a, a simple list of what makes mm. good commanders or good leaders is 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 not good enough. No. What's the magic ingredient? So I, I think. And by the way, this is yeah, a very serious question yeah, because I have right. no idea well, what the magic ingredient is. The, the first thing is to recognise that we we tend to focus on senior positions, and you know, so you've got CEOs and C-suite professionals who are reading all these books and are encouraged to read books and go on courses and but I think the first thing is to recognise that everybody in an organisation has a level of command, yeah. a level of management and a level of leadership. Um, and there's a there's a really good way of finding out whether the organisation has command right is to is to start exploring when things go wrong. And I think a really good example is the lowest level. If you imagine a, a sort of restaurant chain, let's take a let's take a, a coffee shop. Chain. I was about to say, let's take a non-specific coffee yeah, shop not, before we get into legal trouble. Um, what does the barista, who is probably a part-time, uh, maybe a student doing it as a, a job to you know, pay the bills whilst they're studying. It's not their vocation. It's not their long-term career aspiration. What do they do when, when a customer complains? And it's not just about do they have a good customer manner and can they be polite, because of course that's important, but it's, it's about how much confidence do they have in rectifying the problem, the complaint? Do they know where the limits of what they're allowed to do are? Can they give away free stuff? Can they use resource? Are they? Do they have the authority to make decisions about how the organisation is going to solve this problem? And that can be call handler. It can be somebody on the shop floor. It can be. It, it doesn't matter. Everybody in the organisation can be pushed into a position where, unless there's been a discussion about what the limits of what they can and can't do are, they're going to be reticent to do stuff. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think what you're saying is we can we can have a checklist about what makes a great commander or a great CEO. You, you can do that. There's value in that. You can actually go further and enable more. You could say... Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. There's all good things. There's a there's a, the, the going back to the Muppet factor though. In that coffee shop case, it's you, you have the sliding doors moment where the barista could shrug his shoulders and say, "Don't care. Yes. Never going to see you again." Yeah. Or the sliding doors moment where the barista says, "I care. I'm now going to use my skills." I, I wonder whether 
the the sort of the, the magic ingredient here is you you can provide all the tools for someone to become good at this stuff but then at some point you either have people who have those values or don't have those values and i i remember i think it was the first podcast we did where i surprised you with the question what were the values of the royal marines again and you went uh yeah i remember this but i wonder whether that's that's the next bit you go to because you know i've got five people in the room who say i want to be a great leader i can tell you all the textbook stuff i can give you all the examples you want yeah but if if one of them says i don't really want to be here or i'm only here to enrich myself all bets are off yeah absolutely and and i think there's a there's a risk then that you you default to well i've got to idiot proof my organization so i'm not going to allow people to make these decisions well, it, and and that's the wrong approach yes. actually people are generally and i i'm i'm a massive optimist people are generally good and want to be good i and you've got to empower them and motivate I completely them completely agree and a barista who you know isn't going to do it for the rest of their their lives it's not their career can still be motivated such that they treat problems like it's a personal challenge they believe in the the identity of the, the mission the, and the vision value. I, yeah well you've what we've done is looped back on the doing all of this stuff that we talk about well is like a recipe Yes. My wife can make a cake with the same ingredients as I do, and hers is delicious and good-looking, and mine is horrible and not the same ingredients. Yeah. There we've just said, you need to understand these roles. You need to have the skills and the education, for want of a better word, to understand how to do them, how to be good. You need to have the values that support these roles in the truest sense. And then the last bit that you said, and you implied, when you said the barista who is just about to go back to university and will never come back to the coffee shop again, I would argue it loops us back to who are who's in command, who are the leaders, and who are the managers. Because mm. I would argue, probably in most cases, the barista who says, my manager couldn't give less of a toss about me doesn't care what I do, frankly, I'm just cheap thing. Yeah. The, when the customer has the problem, they look around and go... Not my problem. Not my problem. Yeah. The the Quite. manager that yeah. says, guys, I know we're only in a coffee shop, but we're here to make people happy. That's what we're yeah. here for. You might like... The next time the problem comes, the barista says, oh, maybe I'll do... Yeah. Hand me that handbook again about what I can do. So I I, The other thing is, of course, is, is having really clear boundaries as well, so that people feel comfortable about where the limits of that is. So it's not just do everything you can to make them happy because yeah, absolutely. You, know, you risk them giving away all of your stock. But it's people are comfortable when they when they have certainty. And so there's this relationship and this is why command is about relationships because it's about how much command does your subordinate have? Where are the limits and do they know those limits where they can hand the problem to you? So they can say, I'm terribly sorry that this has happened to you, sir or madam. Um, I can't resolve this, but let me go and find the person who can. 
a long term mm-hmm. manager and says this is not the service that you should have uh, you should have expected and therefore this is what we're going to do for you and there's always going to be a need for escalation as the problems become bigger but and, and I tell organizations this all the time a problem that arises problems happen things happen in everyday life mistakes get made balls get dropped a problem between a customer and an organization is actually an opportunity because a problem that is handled well and solved leaves the customer feeling happier and has a closer relationship with that organisation than the customer that didn't have a problem at all. You were right on the edge of me calling you out for that, that it's not a problem, it's an opportunity, because I'm never a fan of that. However, I entirely agree with you. I mean, throughout my time as a product manager, often what what rightly we do is when there is a problem we will be the ones, and as the VP of product, I will frequently be the one that stands in front of the customer and says, I'm terribly sorry, yeah. this went wrong, this is what we need to fix it. But your 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 point about by solving a customer's problem, you are, and it, it is slightly weird, you will build a stronger relationship yeah. with them. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. But I also, even that case, I think, is a really interesting example from a business perspective of imagine if you could build that kind of a relationship with a customer or someone you work with when you don't have that problem. Now, the reality is you don't and you don't because you don't have time and there is no clear reason to. But I think that's a really interesting thought to play with, which says what what I think to break that down. Why is it that the customer that's had the problem that you've solved for is happier well, because they have had an opportunity to genuinely see, are you going to dig in for me? Are you going to put yourself on the line? Are you going to go the extra mile? Are you professional? Are you logical? Are you intelligent? That's the reason why people have mm. solved it. It's not because, oh, you solved my problem. I like you. It's I saw what you did. I saw the outcome. Yeah. And that demonstrates to me you are a partner to me. And that's really valuable. So there's a that's a really interesting thought. And I think this is... this. You know, going going back to some of these roles for leaders and managers and, and people in command where you talked about communicating with other people. In a weird way, if you are successful, you want to communicate those elements you did with the customer you made happy. I am credible. Yeah. I will dig in. I am a partner. I'm there at the tough times. Those are the kinds of things which will actually create the best relationships yeah. as opposed to these very you know I need you transactional I need you to do a thing and I think if you bring it back to because we're now talking about you know shop floor level employees at the, at the bottom of the pyramid if you like I don't really like talking about pyramid and hierarchies but they are they are it's, it's a different I think it's a different rather than it being a pyramid it's a different point in the journey that's yes. probably a better way to so say I, it. I often talk about a sphere a sphere of influence with the the people who are the shop floor, the people that are exposed to customers, you know, suppliers, other people outside of the organisation are on the edge of this sphere. And then the strategic centre is the CEO and the C-suite. And, and then you've got kind of middle management somewhere in between. Um, and I think we can explore that in more detail in a different podcast. But what I want to do is talk about how we get from the edge back to the centre. Because... It's great to say, let's have all our baristas, you know, 
feeling happy and wanting to mo- motivate customers to be happy and, and are empowered to do it. And, but how do you do that? Is it about employing the right people or is it about setting the right tone? It has to be a combination. I mean, this yeah. goes back to the recipe thing, which is no one self-help book is going to make a duff leader a great leader absolutely not it yeah. just it, it, it just encourages you to think you're a great leader because you've read the book and you think you're like yeah. that person and i i think there is a there's also a tendency to overestimate the influence that you can have as a leader in the individual actions people take absolutely but you underestimate the effect you have on the way people feel about the organization well it's 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 this idea about um setting an example it's about you know um, going back to our second world war montgomery made sure that all the troops met him and they all thought he was wonderful and they all thought i want to fight for him because he's a cool dude okay he, he can't make them get up cock the rifle and walk forward but they're under in fact the better way of saying this as when you're in command when you're at the center of the sphere you need to be more sensitive to the levers you can pull in yeah. your organisation. We, we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier before we recorded the podcast, which is within my team, the balance between empowering the team to do something versus, as it were, directing. Yeah. And it's a combination of these things that I think that, that have to work. But you've got to be really sensitive. There's a, there's a real... We, we haven't talked about something today... And while it's really fluffy, or some people might think it's fluffy, I think it's really true. In all these roles, particularly in command, I think one of the biggest problems you've got is information overload. Yeah. What bit of my sphere should I be looking at? Because it's such a big sphere. I could look over here, feel really happy, but mm. I didn't look over here, it's really bad. Understanding where you should be looking, what problems to solve, is a real problem at the command level. And I'd love to. That's a that's a sort of an interesting have some minutes to it. But th- there's this this concept of empathy, yeah, and this concept of listening and hearing what's going on in the world. And maybe empathy isn't even the right word, but part of this is about going to your team and finding out what their problems are. Yes, because. Yeah. The systems that report information to you, all they're going to report is data. They're not going to report what that means. And so as in command, it is really important that you either have empathy or you have someone on your team with that empathy to be able to, in inverted commas, be vulnerable and listen and be open to the barista saying, I would love to help you, but actually... Um, you know, I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I want you to do that. Why aren't you allowed? Oh, well. I think that raises a really interesting and important point, which is, you know, when you talk about the uh, decision paralysis, the information overload, we the the outcome to that is, is relatively self-evident. It's about delegating decision making so that you're not the sole decision maker, having to make all the decisions for the whole organisation. The actual way that that happens is really quite difficult. Um, And the balance, and this is what we were talking to before we started recording, of understanding what's happening around the organisation without being tempted to micromanage and over-control 
um, or to restrict other people's freedom of action. Um, and so it, it, one of the military principles of command is freedom of action, allowing people to understand, and we've talked about the mission command kind of idea of understanding what people are trying to achieve but not telling them how to achieve it and what to do, freedom of action. But equally as important is you as a commander understanding how your people are acting in order to achieve their missions. And so I, I personally have sort of a quite contrasted um, experience. My initial troop command, I got it slightly wrong. So I found myself as a spotty, like 21-year-old straight out of training in that cliched kind of, you're the graduate 21-year-old telling a load of you know, fairly experienced Royal Marines corporal sergeants you know what to do um, I found that asking questions about what they were doing and how they were doing things felt intrusive and a little bit patronizing and condescending and that instead I should trust that you know these marines know what they're doing and I got the balance wrong and I thought my job was all about oh, well, I'll plan the mission and I'll make sure that you know I impart, impart that properly and give the orders and then I will demonstrate through physical leadership you know my willingness to go through the same hardship and all of those good things which are all really important but i didn't sit down with my corporals or with the marines and talk to them about how they were solving their tasks i let them get on with it but didn't have oversight I... whereas later in my career when i was the head of a, uh, a team of about 60 individuals um each of whom had very, very specialist roles and far more technical knowledge than I did, I, I got the balance far better in that I found myself being forced to go and sit with them and ask them about their jobs and find out what they were doing. And it's knowing what's happening without being tempted to start tweaking it. I think I agree with most of that. I think the knowing what's happening, and like you, I, I find myself as I become more senior, you, just like you say, I'm not going to tell the people on the ground floor how to do their job. And by the way, this isn't me saying you should do that. It's actually very important you don't do that. The, the empowerment and then get on. But on the other hand, the flip side is, it's really important, as you said, with New and Troop Command, not to go, well, I couldn't possibly comment on that, or I, or that yeah. is not my area to comment on. Actually, I live in a world when I've been in various teams, some of which who were highly sophisticated, highly experienced, and there was no value in me saying, have you thought of doing this? You've got this. There were other teams that were more junior or newer or had different challenges where actually I would have to go back to basics and say, yeah. oh, I need to now shift my thinking. A vision or strategy is not of any use to you. You want to know what you need to do tomorrow. Okay, vision and strategy, this is not the week for that. This is the week for how do you write a story. Yeah. Again, I think, and I, I think we're going to probably have to wrap it up in a second. We've done this again, and maybe this is unfortunately the lesson from all of these podcasts is this is really difficult there is no black and white answer there needs to be curiosity empathy um a hunger for learning an ability to be open and um a, a hope that you know you'll get there in the end celebrate the victories learn from the failures and do it together as a team i don't know that's that's all too simple well uh, i think 
I think that's probably all we're going to cover for now. I have a sneaky feeling we're going to come back and maybe talk because we kept talking about where well, you can read the blueprint for command and we didn't actually talk about what those things are. So I wonder whether maybe we revisit that at a future date and actually dive into a bit more. We bounced around a lot, but I think we could do it a bit more regimented. But let, let's leave it there for now. We'll call this for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you like what you heard, please tell your friends. Uh, we'd also have, love to have you join in the conversation with your stories, ideas, or suggestions for topics. Um, it does seem like we never ran out of ideas for topics. I think as long as there's alcohol or a strong cup of tea, we'll have a topic. But frankly, we'd love to hear what your topics are or what questions you have um, so we're not just sort of in our own echo chamber. Um, and if you want to do that, you can follow us, suggest a future topic or ask us questions um, on the Twitter at Battling with Biz. Uh, that's one word and biz is with a Z. Uh, for now, thank you very much for joining us and uh, goodbye from me. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>